0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Find your new ride at Kia Macomb's all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why Macomb loves Kia Macomb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price.
1: This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi.
0: Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines
1: Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday, y'all. We have made it. Someone turned the air conditioner on. It got a little chillier, and the parking looks like buttermilk. with all of the pollen you were right though it did wash it out somewhat
2: yeah we haven't quite gotten enough precipitation in central mississippi to wash the pollen away it just kind of moved it around
1: yeah well it's uh awfully yellow out there that's for sure but it's that time of year i mean that's what you have to expect this time of year we got a show lined up for you today at 10:20 the next segment Danielle Morgan, executive director of the Mississippi Tourism Association, will update us on the, the tourism industry in the Magnolia State. It's Friday, so that means at 11:20 Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist with Super Top Mississippi News will run down all the news from across the state over the past week. And then at 12.05, Senator Daniel Sparks will be in the Element Well Studios. We'll discuss HB 401. That's the bill that addresses the sale of new motor vehicles in the state of Mississippi. And we'll, of course, talk about a lot of the other activities in the legislature. It's hard to believe, but we're winding this thing down. We had the lieutenant governor on yesterday, of course, discussing the uh, activities to date under the dome. I asked if he thought we might be sunny dying a day or two early, and he thought that was within reach. I've talked to a couple of other members of the legislature as well who have said that. So we're on to the appropriations phase of the legislative session. That's where we are. And we'll see what uh, is in store for us there with respect to the spending and the allocation of revenue derived from the taxpayers of the great state of Mississippi. You know that more than half of that, slightly more than half, goes to um, education next on the list in terms of spending, state spending would be a Medicaid. Then it's corrections. Then it's like everything else. Education, Medicaid, that's just the state's portion, by the way. Most folks are a bit shocked to learn that the combination of the federal portion of Medicaid and the state portion of Medicaid is as big, if not slightly larger, than the entire general fund budget. It's a $6 billion program in the state of Mississippi. And that's fairly typical, by the way, across the states. I think it, it, um, to some extent, illustrates something we've said here on the program, which is our government is in the health care business. Seriously, in the health care insurance business. at Government at both levels. You And then you look at, of course, pensions uh, as well. PERS at the state level, Social Security at the federal level. Meanwhile, up there in Washington, Joe Biden did, in fact, release his gigantic budget, 2024 budget, which is absolutely chock-full of a a series, a plethora, if you will, Rhino, of tax increases. Never seen anything like it. This is um, par for the course from a party that just believes that government is the answer, the solution to every one of human problems.
2: I would offer that it, it shines a light on the Democrat voting base. How do you it, mean? It, it means that the Democrat voters have to be made up, and I don't know the the percentages, but it's, it's about half that just don't do anything for society. They just take, 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 gimme, 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 free, free, free. Uh, that's true. And the other half are just blithering idiots because they want to give... <laughs> the federal government more money when it's been shown time and time again that the federal government can't find his butt with both hands.
1: It is it is infuriating. I, I share your, your passion. I share your disgust, my friend. It's very infuriating because they continue to sell this nonsense that, oh, just send me more money and I'll make things better for you. And I look at these tax increases, and Just I... fill s- up the bucket full of holes with water. It'll be <laughs> full eventually. I, and then I saw the president talking about this yesterday, and he was addressing some group of union workers. Of, of course. course. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if you saw this, but he asked the question. This is a video that's been uh, played on a rather viral basis. He asked the question, who in here thinks the tax code is fair? Well, nobody thinks it's fair. Everybody thinks that somebody ought to pay more and that I should pay less. Right? It doesn't matter who you are, what level you are.
2: Even well, no, that's only on the Democrat side. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, only that's, the that's Democrats fair. believe somebody should pay more. Well, that's true. That that. Thank you. That's true. You're correct in that. But what I got out of that is that there are people you know in that audience, that paid zero, that think that's unfair, they think the government ought to send them more. There are many who, because of all these refundable tax credits, ended up making money off the IRS. The IRS sent them net money. I'm not talking about refunds. I just, not that you paid in and then you did your tax return. Oh, it looks like I overpaid and the IRS sends me money. No, I'm talking about you don't owe them anything and they still send you money. That's the nature of the mechanics of refundable tax credits. But I looked through eight, eight big tax increases in the Biden budget. By the way, it's $5.5 trillion of tax increases. The largest tax increase in our history was introduced in Joe Biden's budget yesterday. Zero talk about any adjustment to spending. Downward. Zero. I'll share a couple of figures for you for perspective. We presently spend... $1.29 a buck 29 for every dollar we take in now just plug that model into your personal household Biden's budget despite the fact that he's pitching this lie that his budget will reduce the deficit his spending plan is a buck 34 per dollar we take in He's going from a buck twenty nine, which is awful, to a buck thirty four, and then bragging about it.
2: Well, that's because he's a bumbling idiot. And everyone around him are blithering idiots. And, and everybody da- with a D by their name
1: <laughs> is a freaking fool. <laughs> it's it's killing me. Just looking at all these tax increases, I loathe it. I really do. Good grief, man. No talk of cutting spending in any way, stretch, or form. And I know a lot of people get bent out of shape about the money we spent. I do, too, that we send to countries that hate us, that want to blow us off the planet. I don't like that either. But in the scheme of things, that is less than petty cash. When you consider a number I'm going to share with you regarding where we're headed In terms of our obligation to pay interest on our debt which right now sits at about five hundred billion dollars five hundred billion a year we send forty billion overseas not counting the crazy one-time stuff with Ukraine on average we spend forty billion which we shouldn't no doubt but 11x that 12x we spend on interest. We are headed for a point in five or six years where the interest on our debt will be $1.3 trillion. $1.3 trillion just for interest on the debt. And that's responsible? He's taking a victory lap about that? He's boasting about it? Self-aggrandizing? you got to be kidding me. That's insanity, is what that is. We're taking a break with ZZ Top bumping us out of this segment. Danielle Morgan, executive director of Mississippi Tourism Association, is next in the Element Well Studios.
0: Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Midday's with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: We are back in the Element Wealth Studios, Super Talk Mississippi middays. We've got Danielle Morgan, Executive Director of Mississippi Tourism Association. Danielle, good to see you again.
3: You too, Gerard. Thanks for having me.
1: You bet. So give us an update on the MTA. What's going on these days?
3: Well, we've uh, got some great news. We just rolled out at the Capitol a couple of weeks ago about our 2022 numbers. Um, We're excited to report that we had 24 million visitors in 2020. 2022 and they spent 7.1 billion dollars so we're um thrilled about that our visitor spending is actually a little above 2019 numbers so that's a really good uh good marker for recovery and our visit visitation is almost to those 20 20- 2019 numbers so we're, we're getting there certainly yeah.
1: Well, you think that folks are just motivated to get out and about, having been sort of shut down during the pandemic?
3: Absolutely. You know, I think that people are definitely ready to go. We're looking at our spring break plans are very robust. A lot of people getting ready to hit the road there. I think also Mississippi's um, strategic investment in tourism recovery has really paid off. And also, you know, we're a drive state, and people still are kind of in that road trip mentality uh, with flight issues and things like that still going on. So it's a, a great thing for us.
1: Yeah. What uh, what attracts people to Mississippi? What do they come to see?
3: You know, I think um, our rich cultural history is a huge driver for us as well as, you know, um One thing that's hard to beat are our people. I think that's one thing we hear over and over. You know, I had no idea that uh, Mississippi had such wonderful people. And that really gives people a sense of uh, community and belonging, and that keeps them coming back.
1: Yeah. Uh, Any particular areas of the state that folks are more likely to, to visit?
3: Well, you know, of course, uh, the coast is a huge market for us. But really, um, we have great destinations all over the state, some really strong areas. But, you know, the beach is always going to be a draw, particularly uh, for spring break and summer. So there, uh, there's a lot of great things happening on the coast. And um, the aquarium is ramping up. You know, the New Orleans Aquarium's closed for a bit. So we're hoping we can pull some of those folks over to Mississippi to enjoy that.
1: What what are you hearing uh, from your peers in other states as far as the state of the tourism industry?
3: Well, you know, it's um, it's really kind of a mixed bag as far as recovery. We had some really strong numbers um, of of over last year. You know, some of our uh, Louisiana seem to be a little lower than we were on that so it's really just across the board of course the southeast we've we fared better than a lot of parts of the country partially because of our commitment to keeping our economies open and that's really paid off for us but mississippi's um we're we're hanging in there and it's really kind of a mixed bag as people are recovering and you're seeing it's interesting to see um what's working there
4: you
1: anticipating an uptick in in visits uh in tourists when the summer months come
3: we are we certainly hope so we're uh this kind of you know march kind of kicks off the beginning of the travel season with that spring break rush and then people are planning for summer so it's looking to be a robust robust season we've got a lot of those um recovery dollars that were appropriated from the legislature that's going to be driving those markets to mississippi um so that's starting to roll out right now too so i think it's i'm very hopeful for a great season
1: yeah uh, anything that you're uh, paying attention to at the legislature with them being in session bills and so forth
3: of course of course we have another um, s- another round of recovery for tourism we've uh, it's pretty much still marketing recovery marketing dollars but we've also um, we're also working to hopefully expand that into a little bit of long-term investment such as you know enhancing outdoor amenities and some of those types of projects that will keep keep our tourism economy growing and keep people there longer that's part of our goal is to not just keep somebody for a few hours but we want to keep them for a few days and so the more we can invest in that uh, tourism development similar to how the governor has been committed to uh, site investment you know we also want to continue to invest in tourism development to grow that and it also helps make our community stronger too which helps us attract more development and talent
1: you ever run across folks that come here, maybe have never been here before? They fall in love with the place and decide to live they their permanent residents.
3: We do. We absolutely do. Um, we've seen a lot of that throughout the state. And, um, you know, a lot of people are also, uh, you know, after the pandemic and sort of uh, the great reflection, as they call it, people mm-hmm. are kind of looking for um, a different lifestyle, I think, in in some ways. In Mississippi, you know, we do have a great quality of life. Uh, tourism is a really strong component to that. We're not just really about visitors anymore. It's really about growing our overall communities and working with government and also economic development you know they're really it's really a um a system that depends on each other to grow and if you look at the communities that are doing really well they have strong tourism strong economic development and they're all kind of working towards that same spirit
1: well, does the MTA? Do you collaborate uh, with the Mississippi Development Authority and, and local economic development organizations? Do you work with them in any way?
3: Absolutely. That's something we've started um, doing more of. We weren't all always at each other's tables, and so we've we've now seen that the more we work together, the more we can do to grow and attract and retain people um, within our state, of, and and also our best and brightest. We want them to stay in Mississippi too, and we want to provide those amenities that they get in those bigger you know metropolitan areas that all the the young people want to do and so we're certainly working with them Um, I think economic development is starting to see that uh, you know tourism can be a great asset to showcasing and uh, branding these communities as well so I think there's a, a big shift and I think it's really positive for our state
1: what about uh, private sector organizations associations and so forth that rely quite heavily on tourism for their revenue
3: absolutely absolutely certainly um you know i think the the more we can all work together and um all be rowing in the same direction is really really important i think the public private partnerships are really key to kind of what the future looks like Um, because like you say it really is it's crucial a lot of if you talk to a lot of small business owners which are the lifeblood of mississippi uh, a lot of them couldn't depend on visitors and even those whose businesses may not directly correlate with visitors Mm -hmm. um, they know that it's still stimulating their local economy which is stimulating their business
1: To what extent, uh, Danielle, does the association promote and and just advertise uh, out of state to attract tourists to the state?
3: Well, we really, um, visit Mississippi, which is the state tourism agency. They sort of really, um, handle most of the marketing. Our board of directors does serve as the advisory fund for those marketing funds. So we're certainly, we certainly work together on that, but, um, that's definitely a primary, primary goal. But, you know, we also, we have a lot of visitors within Mississippi who are also, uh, rediscovering their state and enjoying okay. driving and seeing sure. those things too. So we, we don't wanna, we never wanna leave residents out. Of what we're doing yeah. on the tourism space, but certainly we're trying to draw visitors in from mostly the touch states. Those are our biggest markets, the states that touch Mississippi. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point because folks within the state, when when they travel to see other parts of the state, I mean they're they're generating economic activity as part of uh, that endeavor as
4: well
3: absolutely we saw a lot of that during during the pandemic you know i i I know i heard people say man i haven't been to the coast in a long time but it was close and you know we felt safe going there and we just kind of rediscovered what was right here in our own backyard so yeah
1: and uh, the state is also blessed with a number of uh very high quality well done museums as well that are big attractions
3: absolutely and that's the kind of tourism development i was talking about you know if you look back 10, 20 even 10 years ago we didn't have um, all of those amenities that really keep people um, in these destinations longer and so it's really been tremendous for our state i would say we probably have one of the strongest museum communities uh in the southeast you know and and they're unique i think a lot of our museum properties are unique as well so
1: yeah they are they and they Tell us about the rich history, as you indicated, of the state and the diverse culture, and it's a fascinating culture, honestly.
3: Absolutely, absolutely, and I think it is so diverse, and I think that's, I always say there's a little something for everybody here in Mississippi, whether, you know, depending on what your interest is, there's there's something for you, for sure.
1: Yeah, a couple years ago, we were hosting the show uh, on location at uh, two Mississippi museums, and a couple came through uh, from Michigan that uh, were retired and just, and just touring and, and knew about the museums, wanted to go through it, and actually approached me and said they listened to the show uh, remotely up in Michigan. Oh,
4: wow. Yeah. That, that
1: That's That was kind amazing. of shocking. Right. But, and so impressed and so complimentary of the state and, of course, the museums, as you indicated, which are incredible. So, it, it's good to get that sort of feedback from someone that's a long way away.
3: It I mean, is. We love being a part of, of showcasing all the wonderful, positive things about Mississippi.
1: It's awesome. Danielle Morgan, the executive director of Mississippi Tourism Association, has been our guest. Thanks for coming on, Danielle.
3: Thanks, George.
1: You got it. We're coming right back in the Element Well studios. Please stay with us. Three, three,
4: Twice cash the big chips Gonna leave a big chip Hotter than a two dollar pistol Baby, I'm on fire
1: Vice President Kamala Harris says the kids are facing, quote, a climate mental health crisis. Really? You think they are? You think kids are? Could she around? say it without giggling? No. Negative. Then I don't give a rat's rear end what she has to say. <laughs> Jim from Ripley on the C Spire text line, which is 601-879-4395, says the yellow storm is not hit up here yet. You know, Ripley, way up there in the northeast corner of the state, hadn't made it that way. But it's gone through here. I wouldn't call it a storm. It's a little, little rain.
2: Or is he talking about the pollen?
1: Yeah, I know. But the storm itself... The rain itself, I guess, pushed the pollen all over the place. And you're right, just kind of accumulated. that's what I noticed in the parking lot. It's like buttermilk. (laughs) William in Greenville wants to know if we can discuss the bill about pornography in public school libraries and how many senators voted against it. Can you name the senators who voted against it? So that bill originated in the House. If, if it's the one you're talking about, I believe it is. I don't think there was a Senate version. The House version, HB 1341, voted uh, unanimously. Well, there were a few that were absent or not voting, one, two, three to be ex- uh, ex- exact, and then two vacancies Presently exist in the House, so it got a hundred and seventeen yays. That's. Are you looking at that? HB thirteen forty one. Yeah, I'm showing where it
2: died in the committee it, in the Senate.
1: In the Senate, that's right. I'm just saying what happened in the House is it. It's unusual to see one pass with zero nays in one chamber, get sent to the other, and then die in committee. But that is exactly what I'm seeing as well, Rhino, as far as the history of activity on the measure, that it, it died in committee in on 228, uh, Jud A. Actually, it was double referred, education and Jud A, in the Senate, after having passed the House on February the 2nd. So that's all I know about it. You know now there else? is another bill,
2: House Bill thirteen fifteen. Okay. Well, maybe that's that is uh, being returned to the House by the Senate on concurrence.
1: Okay. Or for concurrence. Okay. So maybe there is still alive. I, I found that interesting about thirteen forty one. I'm not sure what the objection in the Senate was. Uh,
2: the A's were pretty much. All the Republicans, the nays, were pretty much all the Democrats, and present not voting was uh, Senator Rita Parks and Senator Michael McClendon.
1: Now, are you looking at 1341? 13, 1315. 15, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, because 41 died in committee, so we don't know the vote count there. All right, so you're looking at 1315. Gotcha. The 1315 was also a strike all. Right. Which is why it is going back to the house for concurrence because they basically gutted it and started over. Interesting. So, and it looks like uh, today the motion, uh, motion to reconsider, uh, yesterday, motion to reconsider was entered. You see that, and then it was tabled today. I believe I got the yesterday. date yesterday. Right. Yesterday, all right. I'm one day off. My bad. <laughs> You're right, on the night, and then returned for concurrence yesterday. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on it there, William. Thanks for asking about that. Sam uh, from Mount Hermon says, Hello, gentlemen. Rhino, I say the D stands for dummies instead of Democrats for expecting the government to pay for everything.
2: I just figure if Democrats can call all Republicans <clears throat> racist or white supremacists, then I can call all Democrats worthless.
1: <laughs> True. Bo in Indianola asks, do you honestly believe Biden wrote any of his spending bill? Well, they don't. In fairness, Bo, no presidents write those bills. or they're bud- It's actually a budget, 700 pages, I think. No, that's done by an army of uh, wonky spreadsheet people and staffers. And then they basically tell him, this is what <laughs> we're going to do. Well, that's a problem across the federal government.
2: Yeah. I mean, look at the, the recent release of January 6th information where Benny Thompson our congressman from the Delta admitted he hadn't seen a second of it it was all his staffers that prepared everything
1: for him yeah well what about John where we elected his staffers to do his job but that's very common as you know John Fetterman the senator from Pennsylvania that w- we were all flabbergasted. That uh, he prevailed, but he did. Another example of Democrat voters being worthless. <laughs> yeah. Well, as you know, he is being treated for depression. So he's away. And staffers are basically running the show. Chief of staff for Fetterman. And, it. you know, we're finding out, they're sort of revealing as part of this process, how it works. We're now finding out that well, yeah, it's pretty pretty common for staffers to say, by the way, here's a bill you're authoring. Here, here's what you're supporting. Who's in charge? And so, it, these folks that get elected to a great extent, like Fetterman, they're just figureheads. They're not actually writing the legislation. They're not even conceiving of it. I think they just are surrounded by these staffers that pretty much run the show. It's, it's kind of shocking, honestly. Um, it's also shocking this guy has not resigned. He should resign. Fetterman. He's, he, he's unfit to do this job. He's been unfit the entire time and they elected him, so of course he's not going to resign. Oh gosh, and it's also being reported that his wife like checks in on him once a week. you've seen that? Oh yeah, the second he checked himself
2: in for clinical depression, she took the kids and bolted to Canada. yeah exactly real supportive wife he's got there but on the it's camp- almost like she was the one pushing for him to run and continue to run for Senate even though it was detrimental to
1: his health. Yes on the campaign trail she was fairly visible and certainly. Promoting, campaigning, pushing, but she's like Moost, not even around. And a staffer did admit that they did tell him, yes, you are supporting this legislation. You are authoring a bill. Literally, a staffer told him that. Huh? The founders are absolutely rolling over in their graves it's a it's an overused trope I know but it's true in this case it it fully applies so to your point Bo it's a it's a oh it's a concern that goes beyond Biden I think is is the point yeah I agree he doesn't have a clue what he's saying he doesn't know a tax from a tick I don't think there's any question about that
2: he doesn't know which door in the White House to go into when he gets off Marine one that's true. He's a lost ball in tall grass, and the country is
1: adrift because we have that bumbling idiot in the Oval Office. <laughs> but he's got some pretty aggressive plans in his budget proposal. Some of the new taxes include increasing the top marginal tax rate to 396 from the present 37.9%. Increasing corporate income taxes from 21 to 28 percent. This is the one that just drives me nuts. Taxing capital gains and dividends as ordinary income, meaning for high earners, they could pay 39.6 percent Federal income tax on their gains, and then you layer on the 3.8 percent going to 5 percent in accordance with his proposal net investment income tax you're at uh, roughly forty five percent then you tack on state taxes let's say you're in california or new york you're paying sixty percent on capital gains gains that you achieve by taking massive risk Well, what's that going to do to capital dry it up then what happens is no business formation no expansion No GDP growth. No innovation. No products and services that serve society. It's incredible how these people don't get this. Quadruple the stock buyback tax. They hate stock buybacks, as you know. And they also want to end the stepped-up basis at death. You inherit a farm presently, for example, from the deceased who owned it, and it's been bequeathed to you, the value of that farm is established at the fair market price of it, of the asset of the property, at the time of death. So that if you then dispose of it at a later date, your gain is calculated between the value at the time of death and the value that you sold it for. What they want to do is eliminate that step-up, meaning... If that came into your family 100 years ago and then you sell it, you're paying a gain on the increase in value over the 100 years. Hit the hip. Unbelievable. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios, Kelly Bennett at 11.05, Senator Sparks at
0: 12.05. I bring the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi.
4: Thank you.
1: In the Element Well Studios, that from the all-hit request line. That's Steve Perry strung out there in his solo career. So, Bo in Indianola asks, So if I die, my five-year-old son would have to pay capital gains tax on my house and all my equipment. Well, um, yeah, let me explain. So, the value at which you acquired it, Bo would be used as what's called the basis of those assets in calculating the gain upon sale of those assets. Does it mean that your son, in this example that you shared, would be required to pay capital gains taxes at the time of your death, um, based on that, unless it's your assets, your um inherited wealth is a whole lot more than the exemption but what it what it means is that when those are passed down from one generation to the next in a typical scenario like you described bo where you've got assets you uh, bequeath those to your children through a will or or probate court whatever the case may be at that point, they now own those assets, but the value at which they own them is the fair market value at the time of your death. So let's say that your farm's been in your family 100 years, and when when that farm was established, it was worth 1000 bucks, just to be simple. Now it's worth 100000 bucks. Well, when you pass it on to your son— they inherit it at a hundred thousand. Let's say five years from now, they sell it for two hundred thousand. They have a gain of a hundred thousand based on present law because of the, what's called the stepped up basis. They pay the gain on a hundred thousand, twenty percent capital gains tax. What Biden wants to do is say, Oh, your family came into that farm a hundred years ago at a thousand bucks. Now you sold it for two hundred thousand? You gotta pay taxes on one hundred and ninety nine thousand, not a hundred thousand. Thus essentially doubling doubling, in this case, your tax bite. Hope that makes sense. This has been around a long time. It just protects assets being inherited. It it just allows them to be transferred with a value equivalent to the present value of it at the time of death, so that when it's disposed of later, the gain is calculated on that difference, not going back. Now, one problem is, how the hell are we going to figure that out? Some of these assets have been around so long, and they get passed down through the generations. Who's going to make that determination? In the case of this family farm, for example, that started 100 years ago. We don't have any records for all that. We can't figure out what that was. Unless there was maybe a transaction where you acquired it, that literally is what would be used to determine the value, the basis on which to calculate future gains. They never met a tax they didn't like. I'm just
2: sitting over here trying to figure out what dumb, bleeding-heart buzzword they're going to use to justify it. Is it privilege? Are they trying to decolonize? <laughs> it's got to be white supremacy or racism somewhere in there, because that's the answer to everything.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's privilege. And then, of course, they want a billionaire minimum tax. That's 25% on income and unrealized, unrealized capital gains. Let's talk about what that means unrealized. Simple case, you buy a stock January 1, 10 bucks. You got a $10 investment. The end of the same year, 1231, it's now worth $110. Based on the current price of the stock as of 1231. You bought it for 10 one share, now it's worth 110. What Biden wants to do, not to everybody, but to the higher-income people in the country, even though you haven't sold the stock, you've not made a dime off of it except what's on paper. Went from 10 to 110. That's what your statement says. you got to pay capital gains tax, not the 20% the 39.6% plus the 3.8% net investment income tax just because it went up in value, even though you hadn't sold it. And by the way, you don't got any cash to pay the taxes because you hadn't sold it. So you end up having to liquidate some of it, your holdings, to pay taxes, which causes those equities to fall in value, which hurts all of us normal people out here with our 401k plans and in, and retirement funds invested in these stocks, they never tell that side of it. Though, we're stepping aside for a break. Hour one in the book. Super Talk News, Fox News next at eleven twenty. It's Kelly Bennett, and then at twelve oh five, Senator Daniel Sparks. Please stay with us. To yes. midday's hour two of the program from the Element Well Studios on this Friday, y'all, at eleven twenty. Don't forget, it's Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. So, while we were talking about the, the bill concerning pornographic content in Mississippi, and by the way, that's not it doesn't just expressly and exclusively address schools. It's really about access to pornographic content by children and, uh, and prohibiting that. It's it's a fairly involved bill. <clears throat> what about the buy, borrow, die strategy, says Mike from Madison? Gains are unrealized, but the strategy allows the owner to access the value of the assets with significantly lower tax liabilities. Not familiar, Mike. Explain that to me. I'm not familiar with what you're talking about there. Um, what what sort of assets are we talking about? Like 401k plans, for example. Um, personal pension plans. Help me out, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, interesting concept, though. <laughs> What does Sam from Mount Hermon, Louisiana say? I, Gerard, I agree with you. How is Biden going to figure the taxes on all of those land grabs that the government gave to people back in the 1800s? His brain is already on slow mode. Uh, you're right, Sam, and it, and it's not just land. It's it's any assets. If you've got to figure out and, and uh, dig very deeply, as this would require going back to the origination of the asset on someone's balance sheet, you couldn't hire enough IRS agents to figure all that out. That's a nightmare. It's just not tenable. It's not practical. And I'm also pretty sure that in the case of taxing unrealized gains, that that's unconstitutional. It would get challenged. Is there a lower limit on it?
2: Or would it completely do away with the uh, niche flea market, flipper market?
1: Well, <laughs> what do you mean by that?
2: Well, I mean, if, if you gain access to an asset and then yeah. resell it for a higher
1: value. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I could see how it, it could spawn all sorts of crazy schemes, no doubt. That would make it so dang complicated. You couldn't trace it. You couldn't figure it out. And that's, of course, so consider this. When he talks about the amount of revenue his budget will generate and then discusses the deficit that it he claims it's going to reduce, the amount by which his budget will reduce the deficit, somehow, Some wonks have figured out how much revenue this this elimination of the stepped-up basis provision in taxing unrealized gains is going to generate. How the heck can you figure that out over 10 years? That's just one giant guess, which is why they're always wrong. So you put it on the table, and everybody applauds it, like this union audience that he was speaking to yesterday. but then in practice, in reality, it never works out that way. And we never go back and talk about it. It's like there's like zero accountability of it. It's just unbelievable uh, how intricate they can be in their creation of new taxes. But zero creativity when it comes to cutting spending. And I have the same concern with Republicans. I heard McCarthy talking about it. I heard Senator Marsha Blackburn yesterday. Oh, we got to cut the spending, but when you try to pin them down, well, what exactly? Can't cut Social Security, can't cut Medicare, can't cut Medicaid, can't cut all the other programs, can't cut interest, can't cut defense. Okay, but you're open to cutting the remaining 15%. Well, you can get rid of every bit of it and still run a trillion-dollar deficit. And by the way, Biden and his plan, zero to address the looming catastrophe that is Medicare and Social Security. Nothing. A little bit on Medicare and that he wants to increase the net investment income tax, and that assumes, makes more assumptions about well how much net investment income will there be and i would submit that based on his increase of capital gains taxes to be equal to to um, ordinary income rates there'll be fewer investment <laughs> income transactions they they marxists and i'm not necessarily saying joe biden is a marxist but Marxist theory, if you study that a little bit from an economic perspective, they believe that, well, p- people don't make economic decisions in their own interest. They do it for the good of society. Really? They do. Oh, yeah. Right. And and all that is baked in to the various tenets. It works because people just do it for the The betterment of their is that why every time they
2: recommend building one of these multifamily housing units in one of these
1: more affluent neighborhoods, it gets shot down because not in my backyard. Exactly right. Oh, it's it's easy to pontificate all that crap when you're protected. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah, but when it affects you directly, oh, we can't do that. It's just unbelievable. So the unemployment rate ticked up today by 0.2%, but payrolls went up by 311,000. That was um, about 20%, 25% higher than expected. And as a result, the market, it was down, up, down, up. It's kangaroo day again. Now, right now at this moment, the Dow down 145. A lot of that is because... Not sure if you heard it, folks, but Silicon Valley Bank. Wow. Won't dig too deep into the complexities of what happened, but there's been a rush for cash on the Silicon Valley Bank, which specializes, by the way, in loaning money and investing in startups. It's really really unique sort of banking structure, but it is a bank, uh, a typical commercial bank. And so... Here's how that works. So here, here here's just a high level overview of how the banking industry makes money. They take your deposits and they pay you a little bit of money on that and your and your savings that you may have, money markets and so forth, and then they loan that out at higher rates. And the difference between what they're paying out to you in interest and what they're getting in interest revenue when they loan it is what's called the spread. And that's where their margin comes from. They either they either loan it or they invest it. You put your money in the bank, they maintain all sorts of of um, required reserve ratios of, of cash and assets on their balance sheet. Well, they did. Well, this one certainly did. Before
2: COVID, you had to keep a certain percentage. It was a tiny percentage, but you had to keep a certain percentage of your deposits. With the... Emergency measures put in place, the reserve requirements, let's see, i got it right here, policy yeah. tools, reserve requirements, as announced on March 15th, 2020, the board reduced reserve requirement ratios
1: to 0% right. effective right. March 26th. It relaxed 2020. Uh So proceed at your own risk, banks, is what they're basically saying. You're exactly right. In the case of Silicon, Silicon Valley uh, Bank, what happened was they loaned a bunch of money. One of their big customers, Uber. And so they loan a bunch of money, and where do their deposits come from? Venture capitalists, mainly. And the venture capitalists in the last few months have said, well, things don't look so rosy for investing in high-tech startups. And so they no longer are depositing money in the bank. And, in fact, there's been a run on their cash in the bank because they started hearing, oh, this thing don't look too good. Got some bad loans, bad investments. Bottom line is is that the Fed hiking interest rates has really, really quashed new investment activity in Silicon Valley and in technology startups, and that really forced a run on the Silicon Valley Bank. And so yesterday, that, that also, just by relation to the banking industry and being part of the banking industry, it affected... Uh, the entire sector, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Rhino, some 50, 52 billion, yeah, 52 billion of wealth uh, in holdings in the big banks, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, in one day, 52 billion as a result of what happened uh, to Silicon Valley Bank. It's kind of scary. Coming right back with Kelly Bennett.
0: The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're
4: rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it.
0: Midday's with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. <laughs>
1: Welcome back, everyone. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi live from the Element Wealth Studios. Joining us now.
5: Mississippi News.
1: Kelly Bennett, (laughs) multimedia journalist. Super Talk Mississippi (laughs) News. How about it, Kelly? How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Tell me what you're talking about uh, this past week.
5: Well, I think the big thing we need to let everybody in the audience know is daylight saving time kicks in Sunday morning, so it's time to spring forward. Yeah. Don't forget about that. Yeah, Check your uh, smoke alarm batteries. This is the time of year you're supposed to do that, make sure everything's in order. By the way, you're supposed to replace a smoke alarm every 10 years, or if you do the test and it, it just doesn't work for you.
4: Yeah.
1: I uh, heard that as well. And, and you know, uh have, have been honored to serve on the board of the Red Cross uh, in the southwest chapter here in Mississippi. And I was shocked when I first joined that board to learn that the catastrophe to which the the, the disaster, I should say, the disaster to which the Red Cross responds to the most is house fires. I was shocked to learn that. I didn't even know that. House fires. They said in that Mississippi. It's pretty shocking. In it's one a week in Mississippi. One a week. You, you know it's something one that one a week. One a week doesn't typically make the news. I guess maybe, but um, they respond.
5: Are we higher than other states?
1: I don't know. Haven't researched that. I was just um, surprised wow. to, to hear about that. I know I had an employee five or six years ago when I was still in business that over Christmas. Uh, The employee's wife, three young children, and they were out, came back, house burned to the ground situation, just a a Mm -hmm. tragic occurrence. But uh, you're right. Smoke alarms, very important.
5: Another thing that shocks me is the amount of Mississippians that aren't wearing their seatbelts. We had a really bad accident earlier this week, I believe it was, where a gentleman lost – Three family members in an accident. Nobody in the car had their seatbelt in. They had a child in there that wasn't in a child car seat. And he's out this week on the coast going, please, everybody, make wow. sure you're buckled in. Yeah.
1: yeah. Every time we have uh, the uh, Department of Public Safety folks on, uh, uh, Captain C- Turnipseed, Chris Turnipseed, of course, is a spokesperson, mm-hmm. communications director, and he always gives me an update on how many dang tickets they write. Over the the busy travel weekends yep. uh, for not having seat belts. I'm always shocked when he tells me how how many that is. It is, and that's just the ones they shocking. see and know about, which is incredible.
5: Yeah,
1: yeah. All right, what's going so on? So I know uh,
5: you've been talking, please. you've been talking finances and taxes and interest rate increases and <laughs> all the money stuff everybody's concerned about. But it is Friday, so I thought I'd bring up <laughs> some fun. Okay. Did you see? Former Miss Mississippi Holly Brand on The Voice Monday night.
1: I didn't, but I saw reports of it and I I listened to a couple of clips. Uh, Unbelievable.
5: Yes, her hitting those high notes. She's amazing. 22 years old from Meridian. Right. And I'm not really a person that watches these shows at night, Mm -hmm. but I'll be watching The Voice. Incredible. For Holly Brand this time around. Yeah. Yeah, and she's on Kelly's team, and I'm a big Kelly Clarkson fan. Yeah.
1: Well, we're not surprised at uh, such uh, uh, exceedingly high um, artistic talent, musical talent coming out of Mississippi. We've got a legacy of uh, really incredible talent, uh, so much musical talent out of our state.
5: Very true, very true. Now, this is a week where we're past the halfway point in the legislative session. We had a big Wednesday deadline for lawmakers to get everything from one chamber to the other. Uh, A lot of bills are in conference at this point. And as a news person, this is where you do a story one hour, and the next hour it's out of date. They've already changed it. They've added amendments. So it's been fun keeping up with all that this week. But we do have some bills, and I had... uh, I had, I had brought up, hang on, I need my notes, Gerard. On the governor's desk, you've got postpartum Medicaid extension from two months to a year, which he's promised to sign. You've got the nurse loan repayment program, which is supposed to help eliminate the nursing shortage that we're dealing with in Mississippi. He's already signed transgender, the transgender bill. Mm -hmm. Uh, the EV bill that I know you love. That's your favorite bill that legislators are trying to get through this year, isn't it, Gerard?
1: HB 401, worst bill ever to uh, be introduced (laughs) in the Mississippi State Capitol. You think? My opinion. I
5: think we've we've gotten to this point in 2023 where we've got 50-year-old laws on the books, like the franchise law dealing with auto dealers, and we're still trying to operate according to those laws, and maybe it's time to update. I mean, things have changed in the last 50 years just a little bit. Just
1: a little. Right? Yeah, I totally agree. We've got yeah. Senator Daniel Sparks coming on the program uh, in half an hour, and he and I will uh, talk about this specifically, as a matter of fact. Looking forward to that. Definitely. Yeah. So those are, those are big uh, deals on the, test? The, on the governor's desk. Those are, those are big issues. Go ahead. Fentanyl testing as well, right?
5: fentanyl testing strips strips is another one yeah the strips and apparently they've got some kind of wipe coming out in the future too that'll make it easier i think this is a no-brainer for governor reeves to go ahead and sign this bill it basically takes these strips off the drug list that you can be arrested for right that's a great bill
1: has he said uh, where he stands on have, that? I don't know that he has. Has he said where he stands on that? I'm not I'm not sure he's offered. I an haven't opinion. heard a word. Yeah.
5: I haven't heard a word. No. I'm still waiting to hear from him on a lot of things that are on his desk. <laughs> the ballot initiative is still alive. Yep. Um, and they the House amended the Senate bill. It originated in the Senate this time around. And they brought the number of signatures required down and made a couple of changes. I don't know if you heard uh, House Minority Leader Robert Johnson on Gallo this morning, but boy, he was not happy about these amendments to the ballot initiative. He was saying, look, if we're going to give voters a chance to bring something up and put it on a ballot, then they should be free to bring up whatever they want. We shouldn't be putting restrictions on it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh I did. I heard him a bit. I uh I didn't hear the entire interview, but he he's made it clear that he opposes those sorts <laughs> of restrictions being attached uh, to the the ballot initiative uh process. Uh, I heard he also said that uh he told uh Mr. Gallo, my my brother in broadcasting, as Paul likes to say that he likes coming on his show better than he does mine.
5: <laughs> oh, you heard that? I wouldn't get to mention of that, Jared. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if I. You should think be... he's just saying that to?
1: Yeah, I do. Uh,
5: maybe placate, maybe placate Gallo a little bit since they were kind of at odds I, this I, morning.
1: I so. think that's probably true. Uh, you know, I always enjoy having Representative Johnson on. I think he enjoys coming on the program. We don't see eye to eye I across the board. I think that's pretty evident he knows that i know that but we still have i think a productive conversation when he's here
5: but you know what that's right and it's okay we don't all have to get along and agree on everything but i think the whole point of the super talk network the radio stations and the news team is to have a conversation on these issues and talk about these issues and discuss them and do it without getting ugly about it.
1: To- totally agree. And you know, as we approach yeah. uh, to that point, Kelly, as we approach uh, elections, and we're we're soon as they sign he die, it's going to be just full throated campaign season. Yes. As you know, we've got some very contentious campaigns, and the candidates typically come on the uh, both programs. Um, uh-huh. Candidates that are are competing against each other for the same seat, they come on both programs and they have an opportunity to discuss their campaigns. We we um, sling a little mud, yeah. <laughs> well, they they may, but we don't. You know, we just ask questions. And I've I've had folks from from uh, past campaigns, shall we say. They have said, "Well, you were too easy on the." So, for the same race, two different candidates, I'll have the camp say, "Well, you were too easy on the mm-hmm. other one," and the, and the vice versa from the other. One. Like, okay, well, that means I did I did right. <laughs> too easy, too hard. Well, and whatever. you can't,
5: yeah. you can't control what your listeners think at the end of the interview. That's that's on them. So yeah. you know, you move yeah. on. Hey, all these stories we talked about. Go to supertalk.fm for more details on them.
1: Yep, exactly. Appreciate it, Kelly. Good to talk to you, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks a lot. You got it. Coming right back with more in the Element Well studios, we've got Senator Daniel Sparks at 1205. Please stay with us.
0: Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbett on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Love is a burning thing. And it makes a fiery ring.
4: Bound by wild desire,
1: I fell into a ring of fire. I fell well, the great Johnny Cash. Ring of fire. I went wow, I'm looking at uh, the financials this week. J.P. Morgan Chase down 10 bucks. Citigroup 3, Morgan Stanley 7, Bank of America. All, all down significantly. Uh, the top three down uh, more than more than ten percent, ten percent. Thus, fifty-two billion. Wow, yeah, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America. They were down six, seven percent. Bank of America down eleven. Anyhow, fifty-two billion of wealth wiped out from those particular equities. Incredible. Thomas and Greenwood just sent us a report, looks like it came from one of the local television stations, that Backyard Burgers closing all stores in Jackson. And uh, no reason offered at this point. Employees say they are left clueless and haven't received pay. Wow. Now, as I recall, Rhino, that company was formed either in Mississippi or Tennessee, Backyard Burgers. I want to say it was Mississippi. I was involved, this is crazy, a long time ago, upon its formation of uh, implementing all of the back office accounting systems for that corporation. Yeah, that is uh, it's weird we'll uh, see what we can find out. I don't know that we will hear any more today.
2: Yeah, they started as, quote, a premium quality
1: burger sold in a grocery store in Cleveland, Mississippi in 1987. I was going to say Cleveland. That's where I was. I was in Cleveland implementing the system. Yeah. Their current home office is in Nashville, though. Okay. I knew there was some Tennessee connection. Incredible. Mike from Madison asks, does the ballot initiative still have the Senate provision where even if the voters pass the initiative, the legislature still must then pass it by two-thirds vote or it it dies? No, that was stripped, Mike. And and there was also a provision that would um, allow the legislature to just veto the measure proposed before it ever got to the ballot. That was stripped. It's not, not in it. And I don't know. Mike wants to know, does backyard burgers in Jackson include Madison? This is exactly what came to my mind too, Mike, when I read the report. And I don't know the answer to that. You see anything, Rhino? There there certainly is one in Madison, right next to the Chick-fil-A on the Main Street there, just off the interstate at the Madison exit. So yeah, I, I
2: can't find anything.
1: I don't know. Uh, Gerard, are you lending any credibility to Gas Buddy's report that gas will break the four dollar mark by midsummer? asks William and Brandon. Yeah, it's something we reported, Rhino, a couple of weeks ago. I saw the same report, William. I do think that is um, highly possible, but the um, the wild card, William, is China, because China a huge consumer of oil, and we just don't know. Because I know it's shocking. But the CCP lies. We don't know what the heck's going on. If they really get back to um, significant economic activity that was similar to the way that nation was rolling pre-pandemic, yeah, that could put a gig- gigantic pressure on demand for oil, which would drive the price up because Joe Biden and company don't want you using it. And so if they've done everything in their power to this point, to essentially kill the supply of oil. And I maintain that all of these economic problems that all these headwinds we're facing with banks now, such as Silicon Valley Bank, and what happened to them, folks, by the way, was they're sitting on see this is what happens when interest rates rise so rapidly. They've got a bunch of bonds outstanding at old interest rates, paying old old rates. They can't get enough deposits in the bank to maintain the cash position they need to operate, so they look to sell some of their assets, which are bonds. Well, when you're holding a bond that's paying an interest rate of 2%, an investor can go buy a brand new bond, paying 5%, in order for that investor to buy that old bond with the old interest rate from you, you've got to discount the bond. So, for example, um, you sold bonds that are $100,000 face value. Now you want to, they're sitting on your balance sheet. Now you want to sell those to raise money. You may have to sell them at 75000 Take a hit because they pay less on an interest rate. That's how the bond market works. So the FDIC, by the way, shut them down. Just saw report. You saw that F.B.I. seen California regulators shut the place down. This is saying good. I don't think this is – this is not Bear Stearns. I don't see that. I don't see what happened in twenty eight, two 2008 when we saw the collapse. Merrill Lynch, who could forget all that? I, cer- I certainly can't. I don't think we're at that point, but I think it foretells. I think it – It indicates, it instructs how bad the Biden economy is. And he's running around wanting to raise taxes. It's insane. Nuts. Zero understanding of basic economics, but more importantly, human nature, which is what drives economics. It's just human nature. And these are are headwinds we should be concerned about, such as the price of oil. You want to improve things in our economy and for American households of working families rather than taking it from the people who produce and just giving it to the working families, which doesn't increase GDP, doesn't increase economic output or opportunity or wealth. It just redistributes it. That just recuts the pie. It doesn't increase it. You want to increase the size of the pie? Get the hell out of the way of the American energy industry. Stand down with all this climate change nonsense. Signal to them, I'm out of your way. Go produce all you can. We're going to let you do it. We need you, energy industry. Use your your might, your innovation, your assets, your resources to produce more. But just a month ago at the State of the Union, well, I think we're going to need oil for 10 years. What planet is this guy from? As if, oh, that'll really motivate the oil companies to make these massive multi-billion dollar, multi-year return on investment um, actions. Oh, yeah, they're all over that, 10 years. Takes 15 to get your money back. They don't get that. I'll give it to Trump. He used to invite those execs to the White House. What can we do? And they flourished and we had cheaper gas and no inflation. And wages were rising faster than the rate of inflation. We got just the opposite now. New report out. Wages up four and a half percent, inflation up six and a half percent. You're upside down.
2: Again, I reiterate, Democrats are worthless. It's
1: unbelievable. And these people at this event he was at yesterday speaking, this audience mostly of unions, union laborers, oh, yeah, the tax code's unfair. Tax them rich people more. You fool. Who do you think gave you your job? It's just unbelievable. Really is. I'm in the restaurant industry. Eventually, all backyard burgers will be closed. I'm not surprised. I I think you're going to see more, more closure. By the way, we've... um, Is that because it's kind of
2: in the higher end of fast food chains? Or is it their business model that's a problem?
1: I I just wonder if we're starting to see a point where... Their cost of input, their cost of operating have gotten to a point where they would have to raise the price of what they sell right. sufficient to produce a profit, but the market says, I'm just not paying that much for it. I went to, I won't name the establishment, but I went to a, um, a grocery store that also has a deli a couple of days ago. I, I'm shocked. I bought a plain old turkey sandwich. It's just turkey, lettuce and bread. It was 8.99. Does that sound crazy? 8.99 for a sandwich. And it wasn't that good. Turkey, lettuce and bread, 8.99. You can't get a $10 lunch anymore. I guess you could do that not drink anything. Find a water fountain somewhere. <laughs> Terrible. We're coming right back with another segment in this hour, and then we'll have Daniel Sparks in the Element Well Studios. <laughs> the hour.
3: Weekdays.
0: days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Let's super talk Mississippi.
1: Backyard Burger story on the ceasefire text line. The uh, individual that told us they were in the restaurant industry and advised that eventually all backyard burgers would be closed says you're both correct and labor is ridiculous. We were analyzing what we thought the problem likely was. Yeah. So
2: you've got a already a, a harder or a tougher hill to climb with it being on the more expensive end of fast food. You've got a higher cost of inputs as far as what you need to actually run the business. Yep, and labor's through the roof. So yeah, I can see how that'd be difficult to keep afloat.
1: Toxic elixir from a business perspective, as they would say, Larry N. McGee says, Rhino has made me laugh a couple of times this morning by calling Democrats fools. Keep preaching it.
2: I figure if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. If all the liberals and idiots and leftists are going to say every single Republican is racist and a white supremacist and every white person has privilege and blah, 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 then it's well within my right to say all Democrats are worthless losers.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's, you're right. It's a turnabout is fair play sort of situation. Somebody did ask me. I'm looking for it, Rhino, about the uh, the stepped up basis that that um, Biden is proposing. I can't find it now, uh, and where it would apply. But so the the way that works is the change on. Taxing unrealized capital gains would apply to at uh, inheritance would apply to gains over five million for single filers and ten million married. It's the way that works. So uh, most people wouldn't be affected, but again, you've got to consider that when these sorts of onerous taxes are imposed, it doesn't matter that only um, a few of the population pay it. All of that impacts economic activity. It, it has a, a spiraling effect, a domino effect on so much in the economy. It's not just limited to those individuals. That's just not understood. If that were the case, then I think that sort of refutes Biden's assertion that the rich don't pay their fair share when 1% of the population, 1% of taxpayers, in fact, paid 42% of taxes, of federal taxes. But that's deemed as fair, somehow. That is considered fair, which is really hard to believe, but that that's how they do the math. His budget proposal, $6.8 trillion. By the way, that's 50% more than it was pre-pandemic. 50%. We were at 4.4 trillion in 19. We're we're proposing 6.8 in 24. Unbelievable, but nobody seems to want to talk about it. Of course, the top tax rate on corporations would go up. Capital gains taxes, twenty five minute, twenty five percent minimum tax. All of that is just nonsense and would be. Destructive to the economy. Um, Good news is doesn't have a chance of passing, and but it is going to be used. He's setting up for a debt ceiling showdown. That's what this is all about. Here's what we want, and yesterday, in a in a in a very indignant fashion. You may have seen that, both from him and Karine Jean-Pierre, White House press secretary. They need to show us their plan, demanding that House Republicans, led by Kevin McCarthy, show us their plan. That's fair enough. And, And McCarthy's been interviewed a couple of times today about it, and he's discussed what his plans are. And I'm glad to hear maybe he tunes into the show. What he wants to name is HR one, which which is typically the the uh, the label uh, assigned to legislation that is considered the top priority in a house. The number one HR one. Remember what the Democrats HR one was? Voting rights garbage. In other words, making it easy to cheat so we can stay in power. That's what it really was. Well, HR one. As Kevin McCarthy announced, unleashing the American energy industry, getting the government boot off the throat of oil and gas companies. Bravo! Now, it's got no chance of passing because the Senate, Democrats will kill it. And even if a few peeled off and supported it, it goes to Biden. You know he'd veto it. But I'm so glad to see, yeah, our priority is... Getting government out of the way to allow the American energy industry to boost supply. That's the best way to get prices down of everything, because everything relies on energy. Not Joe Biden, though, man, and not the Democrats. They're just entrenched. New home for the best sports coverage right here in the Magnolia State.
0: Every day from 3 until 6, right here on Super Talk Jackson 97.3. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: We are back with you in the Element Well Studios. It is midday's Gerard and Rhino on this. Friday, y'all. And joining us now, Senator Daniel Sparks. He represents uh, Mississippi's District 5, which includes Itawamba, Prentice, and Tishomingo Counties, serves as the vice chairman of the Senate Corrections Committee. Good to see you there, Senator. Good to
6: be here. Thank you for having me, Gerard.
1: All right, so we've got uh let's talk first about these Jackson bills, sure we had uh, one that didn't survive and one that did thus far. Tell us about
6: it the biggest thing of course the uh, the water what everybody refers to kind of as the bill dealing with the water system uh came over from the uh, Senate side, and uh, David Parker was a chair of workforce working on that bill. And uh, that bill did, in fact, die yesterday in the House, I believe. Um, but you know, we'll continue to look at that. But one of the things that Senator Parker did is he, you know, when the bill came out, he had a lot of blowback, and, and he invited everyone to speak with him. He spoke with all the uh, mayors that are involved. He spoke with the uh, appointed administrator on several occasions. And as I understand it, they're expecting someone to take possession of this system once the administrator leaves. And I do have a problem with handing it back to the folks that seem not to be able to run it efficiently, and I would say there's no one in Jackson that says the water system has performed adequately. So uh, we'll continue to work on that, but we need to be in a position to make sure that we're taking care of the capital city as it relates to having drinkable water um, as well as water to operate other facilities.
1: And there's some statutory responsibility as it relates to that. So when the governor stepped in with the Department of
6: Health uh, last year? And, and I think it was pretty evident quickly that there were things that could have been done and should have been done that that MEMA and the governor's actions uh, quickly improve the situation. And then the people who are even working there seem to be very appreciative of the help. But I I think we're going to get there. But, you know, there's a lot of pushback just because uh, people like local rule. I believe in local rule. Uh, I would push for that. But if I couldn't drink the water in Belmont, Mississippi, uh, where I'm from, uh, for years, and I couldn't give it to children in formula and I couldn't flush my toilets, I believe I'd be looking for somebody else to help me out. (laughs)
1: Uh, Indeed, and then I also saw a local report where the city of Jackson is uh, just providing financial assistance to some of the water customers literally to pay their water
6: bills. They're using ARPA funds for that purpose. And this problematic because one of the other things that's happening is it doesn't appear that they've been billing properly the total uh, group of people on the water system, which would help pay for repairs and things of that nature. And, uh, of course, when you get into municipal government, you you have gift provisions and things that you cannot do. You cannot forgive debt. Uh, But we have people in Jackson that haven't received a water bill for months and are scared to death, they're going to get a 3000 $4,000 water bill. And I loved how somebody told me, said, oh, we put a provision in there to work out a payment plan. That's not fixing the problem. <laughs> you, you should get a bill, and uh, you should know what that bill is, and it should be based on your usage.
1: All right, so let's talk about the uh, the big one, the CCID, the Capital Complex Improvement District Expansion Bill that Representative
6: Lamar introduced over in the House. Yeah, there's been a couple of different moving parts because I think at one point they really focused on expanding the borders of the CCID, which would expand everything that is related to it, uh, and that bill has, has languished. Then 401 uh, also kind of dealt with that but when it came over to the Senate it was more geared toward the court seemed to be more of the discussion uh, Senator Wiggins on the Judd A side dealt with that bill. and I thought they brought a good product out uh, that made the judges that we have been assigning in Hines County to deal with backlogs I found out uh, maybe even today even longer than uh, the ARPA situation That it's, you know, there's been a backlog for a while and uh, the, the problem was a permanent judge that was appointed and I'll have to admit I don't agree with the permanent appointed judge. I, I don't think that's proper. I think we should elect them. If we're going to elect them across the state, everywhere else, we should elect them here. But there seems to be blowback of uh, just dealing with the appointed judges hmm. uh, that are dealing with ARPA money, and we're told COVID caused all this, so we're using these funds that have a limited uh, use to try to address that. And then there was an article that came out a couple of days ago that, that I really have taken offense to. You can be on either side of this argument on 1020. Um, but the attempt is to help Jackson to help deal with crime in Jackson and to help deal with the backlog. Um, The problem is this article then tried to go to the Mississippi electronic court system and look at other districts that have cases. Well, they happened to pick on my district, uh, the first judicial district, uh, which encompasses seven counties. And they claim we had 8,000 open cases. Well, there's no way we have 8,000 open cases. And they implied in the article that these were criminal cases. They kept referring Hmm. to criminal cases. And now everybody wants to blame MEC, which I don't know is, is, is the best place for blame. Then they wanted to blame, uh, you know cliff johnson for giving these numbers out they've been uh misrepresented and it it, it defeats the purpose of what we're trying to do because it it was trying to push the narrative that we have other places that have a lot of cases that are backlogged but you know that's not the case actually i talked with my da and there's about 20 uh about 2,100 uh, criminal cases that were open. Now, remember, that's seven counties where I'm from, not one county. I have four judges for seven counties, which means you can't have court in seven counties at the same time. In Hines County, there's one courthouse as I understand it, and those four judges have one docket, one location. So that's not a fair comparison. But uh, they settled about uh, 550 of those criminal cases, so they got about 1,600 active. And then there's about 1,300 that are people that have not come to court. You know, they're kind of absconded out there. Then some of the other numbers are skewed. And I'm going to ask MEC, I'm going to send a formal request to the uh, Administrative Office of Courts and MEC to send me the breakdown for my first judicial district that I work in as well as Hines County. So we we need to work on a true narrative, but the intent of the bill is to be helpful. And as I said from the floor the other day, the real issue we might ought to focus on is the number of public defenders because Hmm. you've got to get to the people who are accused and get them advised properly, see where we are. Is it a crime lab issue? Is it just an issue that someone has not said, here are your options, because you take up a lot less time if you can reach an agreement and have a plea uh, than if you go to a trial. But for people who want a trial, we want them to have a speedy trial in accordance with the law.
4: Yeah.
1: Well, it, it's uh, kind of sad to me that it's, it's sort of deteriorated to that part, uh, that point where it's become a, a, such a political uh, firestorm. People, and, people and we're find not, something
6: to suit their narrative.
1: Yeah. And rather than trying to solve this problem, it, it seemed like we ought to start with acknowledgement we got a problem. And that, we don't get that it doesn't appear out of the mayor.
6: Um and that's and maybe that's why we have such a big problem. He doesn't believe we have one. Well I'll have to admit I, I probably don't take criticism as well as I should. I could I could work on that in in my own personal life. But well, sure. if I'm failing, if I'm utterly failing it's not the teacher's fault in school. My parents didn't raise me for that. Uh, if if I'm failing at work, it's not the employer's fault. Yeah. And if I'm failing at the job that I'm elected to, it's not the people I represent's fault. It's not somebody else's fault. So we are offering help. I don't think there is any dispute that there is a crime problem in the city of Jackson, that there has been a court case backlog, and that the water has been disastrous yeah. for a major metropolitan area. And, and we're trying to help. Yeah. You know. Makes sense.
1: All right. Uh, what about uh, your committee, the Corrections Committee? What you had going on there?
6: A lot this year. Uh, Chairman Barnett and I, for for the last three years, got to work on a lot of legislation, uh, particularly parole bills and, and uh, work bills that were related to inmates and training and uh, trying to reduce recidivism. This year has been more of a monitoring situation to see, uh, to see where we are on some of these programs. Uh, we had a report back from the Criminal Justice Task Force, and they wanted to expand some of the things that we've been doing, uh, particularly. Um, Chairman Barnett worked mm. with Sheriff uh, Bailey in Rankin County to do a kind of a work program with them, and then they've done that even with MDOC. There's one amazing story where a guy went to work for a local dealership as a tech, and by the time he was parole eligible, he had over $30,000 in the bank, had mm. paid all his fines. Wow. This, this is not, hey, we're going to work somebody for you know less than minimum wage or minimum wage. We're trying to help people find careers, and I'm excited to track this person uh, to to see that, that he has shown that mm. we can be successful doing that, but I'm also kind of a, a hawk when it comes to contracts on that side, and you've dealt with this in your career in business. Oh, yeah. I get frustrated, and I kind of let that come out this week on the floor. I think I made the comment you could pick any five guys at a sale barn and they could negotiate better than the government, <laughs> and I stand behind that. We we uh, we have contract review board that looks at the legalities of the contract, right. but who is looking at it for, did we just get out-traded?
1: Yeah, the and, substance. That's right, yeah.
6: and, and so I've, I've kind of been put on that, because, you know, I'm not a chairman, because I came in as a freshman, and I'm not ready to be a chairman as a freshman. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how the world works, sure. but I have taken this opportunity to work with my chairman uh, and to dig and to read contracts and do those things. I kind of wish all 174 legislators would adopt a piece of government, kind of like adopt a highway, <laughs> you know, keep it clean, but yeah. let's, let's adopt an agency, yeah. a board, a commission, a department, and, and let's just get all up in there and, and try to be helpful, uh, but also to make sure they know. we're looking after the people's tax dollars. Not a bad idea, honestly. Are are you pleased with Commissioner King? Seems to be doing a good job. I am pleased that the narrative has changed. I'm pleased of of what he has done to address what were the hottest fires, and I want to help them going forward. I promise you, I want to help them, but I don't want to be fleeced. Uh, We have to negotiate for the taxpayers of the state of Mississippi. The private businesses are going to negotiate for themselves.
1: Sure. We've got Senator Daniel Sparks in the Element Well Studios. We're coming right back. Stay with us.
0: this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge 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 news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super talk Mississippi.
1: Nico in the cars. You see what I just sent you there,
4: Rhino? Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> A little fodder there before we get back to our discussion with Senator Sparks. The city of Berlin is going to allow everyone to go topless in swimming pools, public swimming pools.
2: Yeah, I just checked. There aren't any flights direct from Jackson to Berlin this
1: weekend. <laughs> Oh my gosh, there's more craziness. Senator Daniel Sparks, our guest in the Element Well Studios. All right, uh, let's talk, before we talk about vehicles, let's talk about uh, the ballot measure process. Sure. Tell me about that. The Senate wanted a high signature threshold. Uh, The House comes out with a version that. Um is uh requires a lower threshold, just different approaches to the number of signatures. What do you think about that?
6: Yeah, I think you know, I think you and I talked about this a couple of years ago when it first came up and I said I'm more in support of a, a statutory version and I think yeah. you feel the same way. yeah. because yeah. uh, constitutionally we get into a lot of quandary. Yeah. And uh and maybe there should be a con- constitutional measure that has different parameters. Uh for instance, you know, if somebody wants to impose term limits, that's that'd be a fine constitutional matter to put totally out there, um, Which
1: would require amending the constitution That's
6: right. yeah, but not ingrafting, you know, statutory law in the constitution. I agree. Um, the threshold argument, the, the biggest concern I have is that I believe under a couple of real uh, recent and famous uh, initiative processes, I, I think that we saw technology take its place and the ability to gather signatures is different and uh, maybe the out-of-state interests that come in, the money that comes in. So I do have a little bit of concern. I mean, you know, people have worked really hard uh, to push this state in a conservative direction, Republican leadership, etc. so you have all statewide uh, offices that are really Republican, and you have supermajorities on both ends, and then you turn around and you allow outside forces to amend mm-hmm. something that's against the wishes of what the majority that the people elected. You really get a conundrum there, if you will. Um, but you know, I support the process of getting something out there for a statutory um, initiative and ballot process. Um, but you know, from a signature standpoint, I'm I'm open for discussion on that.
1: Okay, so you're not just. Um Hard line against the House's version, which is consistent with the the present model that's been invalidated by the Supreme Court, uh, that requires 12 percent of those who cast ballots in the last election, as opposed to the Senate version, which would require 12 percent of the registered voters. And the numbers show that the difference is about two and a half.
6: Yeah, it's it's a big difference. Between the Senate and the House. And it depends on which election you choose. Do you choose the presidential election or the governor's race? And that's why, you know, I'm willing to listen to all that. I'd like to have a process, but I do want to make sure that we take into consideration consequences. Okay.
1: Well, you know, I I would just offer this thought, and I I said this a couple of days here on the show, that I believe that a higher signature threshold pretty much guarantees the only people that would get a measure on the ballot would be well-funded out-of-state interests. Um, it, it It would lock out to a great extent sort of any measure that that uh, was was born at the grassroots level
6: and i think that 's fair I think that's a very fair analysis. The other thing that I probably would be more interested than in, thresholds is language of the short title and language of the actual initiative. I do feel like the last one that came through, had it not failed on the congressional district model, I think the Chief Justice signaled that there was further discussion that could be had to go pull the petitions because each time you're asked to sign that uh, petition, you're supposed to be presented with a copy of it. And it just so happened the last one was five pages long, and I would be pretty confident not everybody was provided. Not only did they not read the five pages, that they were not even provided the five. Pages, so I'd like for us to make sure our short title's not misleading. And if you, we have to print the entire thing on the ballot, let's do it. Uh, I could get I could go along with that because
1: I do think some games can get played with that, as you well know, and this sort of protects against that. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree with that. I think that I think that's reasonable. Um, you, you know, I'm not so sure. I'm I'm um, aligned with the speaker on restricting what could be placed on uh, the ballot. I I get his. His wish to, for example, protect the progress that we've made on uh, banning abortion in the state. I understand that, but I, I just wonder if that's a slippery slope. What's next? That we oh, You can't have any say on that. It's, uh, it's a concern.
6: Uh, yeah, I'm very pro-life, but it, it would be hard for me to think a true people's uh, ballot initiative would be, we'll tell you what categories you can have. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that.
1: All right, let's talk about uh, our favorite legislation, HB 401. Well, uh, I'm, <laughs> go ahead. No, I just want uh, you to, to tell us what you you've supported sure. the legislation, so you and I have talked about this, no secret, you and yeah. I have talked about this Um In in a very uh, productive manner, I feel, offline. So
6: tell us what you think about that. I appreciate it. And this was a bill that came out last year, and and it came as a result of uh, a motor vehicle manufacturer uh... that happened to be electric is the only models they make uh... went to the motor vehicle commission in the state of mississippi and applied for two licenses one for a dealer and one for a manufacturer mm-hmm. and uh... that's not actually available to them uh... As the commission would believe and, and certainly as the law has been interpreted so they asked for an attorney general's opinion at the same time this company went and formed an llc and they applied for the license under that state llc okay. long story short they ended up with a location um, the AG came back and said, we don't see anything in law that prohibits I it. read the opinion. Um, we've, you know, since 1970, basically, the current franchise laws are on the books. And so the position was, look, everybody needs to play with the same set of rules. And, you know, last year it kind of popped up. And it was debated pretty heavily, he, uh, passed on both sides, and then died in conference. So we came back this year with basically the same language uh, that is just saying, if you want to have a brick-and-mortar store uh, front, which we call dealerships in the state of Mississippi, uh, that you have to enter a franchise agreement that, you know, the traditional manufacturers uh, cannot do that. They're, it's not that they chose not to. It's actually, uh, I don't think that they're available to do that. And one of the biggest things I want to do, and I think you've agreed with me, you know, we, we want to get the clear information out there this does not restrict direct sales now i consider direct sales uh to be online sales mm-hmm. um so it does not take that away that you could do i don't see anything in the language i have asked people who are on the other side of this bill of me to show me where in the language it does and i no one has, has shown me that so i don't believe that um Second, it, it does not require anyone to build a brick-and-mortar dealership. I, I think mm-hmm. the world of Commissioner Cheney, but he was home yesterday morning, and he his statement was they're going to be forced to sell in brick-and-mortar dealerships. No, they're not. They can sell online. I think you've captured it more properly is there is a route to market that electric vehicle companies per, per, prefer that they're being told, no, you can't do that. I think that's a fair representation.
1: It is, and I've said that, and I've read the legislation. I read it different than you. Um, and I'm not a lawyer. I freely admit that, but I can read bills and, and tell what they say. I guess my question would be to you, Senator, is if uh, if what you're saying is correct, then if a manufacturer of a motor vehicle, and by the way, it, it doesn't expressly apply to just electric vehicles, correct? When I read the legislation, I didn't see anything that that uh, I guess carved out electric vehicles, it applies to all vehicles. That's new right. Vehicles. We're, not, we're not picking on right. electric vehicles. I vehicle. just want to make yes, that, that right. clear because yes. it get, kind of gets referred to as the electric vehicle bill, right. the Tesla bill. It's really not. It's all new vehicles. Now, we could, we could probably debate without a clear winner of, is that where the auto industry is going? Is it transitioning totally to electric vehicles? I believe they are. I believe the federal government is pushing that a little too fast. We're not quite ready for that. But the question is, so if a manufacturer, let's say Apple. Apple is is has uh, made it known. They intend to enter the uh, vehicle business. They're going to start building cars, selling cars. And if Apple says, we only want to sell directly through the app on our iPhone, and to do so in Mississippi, to sell a new vehicle in the state of Mississippi, one must have a a license to do that, right, a, a vehicle license that's granted by the Motor Vehicle Commission. Did I, is that correct? Uh, that's the way the language reads, and I, right. I think I know where you're headed, but I'm well, let you so, <laughs> yeah, so I, I want you to go ahead. Yeah, so if Apple – sends their application to the Motor Vehicle Commission to sell their vehicles directly to consumers in the state of Mississippi uh, without that uh, uh, transaction occurring through a traditional physical dealer in the state of Mississippi, assuming they meet all the other requirements,
6: will the Motor Vehicle Commission grant them a license? I don't think they need a license. But I don't either. Th- yeah, and Can we get rid of that? <laughs> well, no, no. that's the way uh, Tesla's been operating, because okay. they've been selling cars. And that. And when this question came up last year, and I did call the Motor Vehicle Commission, okay. and I said, look, as I understand this, the car, the transaction, although it's on an app, yeah. uh, that transaction is taking place where the automobile is manufactured. Like, it's not, you're not buying it. It's being delivered into Mississippi. So I don't believe there's a need for them to have a license okay. to sell online, because that's what Tesla had been doing sure. uh, over the years, and I also, uh, some people get confused. They're like, you're driving the tax revenue out of here. Well, I live on the Alabama-Tennessee border with my district. If I drove into Tennessee or Alabama to buy a new car today at a brick-and-mortar dealership, when I come back to Tishomingo County and registered, I pay it my taxes, pay taxes there. Yeah, so sure. that's another one. i done that, too. And you you also, I think you know this, uh, it does not restrict service centers. It does not restrict right. anything. It just says if you're going to have dealerships, brick-and-mortar dealerships, you got to follow the franchise laws like everybody else.
1: Okay. Well, we'll we'll talk about uh the, the merits and the problems with that. If you can stick around, yeah, i will come to. back. we Thank got you. Senator Daniel Sparks in the Element Well Studios.
4: Pretty lady, give I'd give to make you mad on mine. I'll do your bidding you Yeah, I've never seen anyone looking so fine. Man, i got to have her. She's a one-of-a-kind. I'm going once, going twice. I'm so lady in the second row. She's a naked, she's a nine, she's a ten, I know. She's got three. Lips, hair, blue eyes and I'm about to bit my heart hey.
0: Gerard Gibbert Going beyond the headlines Breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi Middays with Gerard On Super Talk Mississippi
1: In the Element Well studios, and we're chatting with Senator Daniel Sparks. Appreciate you sticking around with us here, Senator. So, all right, we're talking about HB 401. This, is, this has created quite the firestorm. You know, I wrote an article about it and uh, it, opposition to it. And what you're telling me, though, is, is, a, is a bit um, new in that it is your understanding, your, your opinion, I think, is the way you've stated it. I, so, I'm going to frame it as such. That if a vehicle manufacturer wanted to sell their product, their vehicles, new vehicles, into the state of Mississippi, to a a consumer in the state of Mississippi, without a physical dealership presence, a third-party-owned dealership presence, so-called franchise, that they would be permitted to do that, that this law does not prohibit that.
6: Yes. If I if I thought it prohibited it, I would not have supported it. Okay. And if it, for some reason, went to court and somebody said that's exactly what the bill does, I'll be the first one to drop a piece of legislation that carves out an exception for online sales. Okay. Because I believe that that's, that's, a, that's actually a dormant commerce clause issue if it did that. And if we tried to do that, and I said this from the floor last year, it would violate, in my opinion, the dormant commerce clause. We don't have the ability to regulate what someone else that is otherwise a legal product sells into the state of Mississippi.
1: Completely agree. I've right. said that a million times. Don't. It's not the government's uh, responsibility. It really shouldn't be their purview.
6: Listen, they're not legally
1: allowed. Like, I, you know. Exactly. Right. Okay. So we're in, we're in agreement on that. Uh, I'm learning something here. Uh, to that extent. Uh, I'm just wondering, though, is, I don't know, is somebody going to get mad about that? Because this is going to start becoming more common, and are we going to see some some parties perhaps uh, not so happy about this new uh, direct route to market, manufacturer direct to consumer in the sale of new motor vehicles? And, and they raise a stink, file a lawsuit, et cetera, and then the courts sort it out.
6: That can always happen. I I do find it interesting that last year, the the people that that represented electric vehicles, they wanted to carve out just for manufacturers of electric vehicles that had only ever uh, manufactured electric vehicles because they weren't looking for one rule for everybody. And here's the other thing. If we did that, we would be revisiting this in a couple of years for hydrogen sale. That's, that's what well, we're having no so it. so. That's why when I say it's one set of rules for everybody, if it comes along with a hydrogen sale, we don't have to change the law. We'll you know you want to sell them direct to your consumer, and you want to sell online. That's great. Okay, uh, if you want a brick and mortar, that's great. You just need to you know go through that franchise relationship. Okay,
1: and and you maintain that's because we have these legacy franchise laws in place that require uh, that model to sell a new motor vehicle, and so I quit. So first, I think we refer to these as franchise laws. But it appears to me they really only apply to the sale of new motor vehicles. We probably should rename them as regulation of sale of new motor vehicle laws.
6: I think that'd be fair. You know, we I use this example, I think, on the floor. You know, we don't allow uh, grocery stores to sell wine in grocery stores. Yeah. We don't have a Trader Joe's in the state of Mississippi. I have a sneaky feeling that's because they sell wine in the grocery stores, and they've chosen not to come here. Yeah. So the question is not what should the law be. Like, if if this was 1970 and I was in the legislature, would I have drafted this law? I don't know. But that is what the law is, and we just want a fair playing field. One other thing that I think is happening, because this is emerging, you know, I got to ask a question on the floor about a disruptor from my friend Senator Wiggins, Mm -hmm. and he used the example of Uber. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I wasn't in the legislature in 2016, but I got in my time machine on the computer and went back to 2016, and I happened to find the legislation, which he said we didn't regulate Uber when they came in, but we actually did. Uh, It was Senate Bill 2815 and ultimately House Bill 1381 that passed. Both of those came through the Senate. Uh, The vote was 51 to 1, and Senator Wiggins was not the one. Senator McDaniel was not the one. It was 51 to 1 that they regulated, and uh, at the time, Chairman uh, uh, Simmons was chair of highways and he handled the bill and i think he was asked a question isn't this treating this new company this new technology differently and pretty much it was like yes but we worked our way through it the difference with that and what we're doing today we're not treating them differently we're treating them the same they wanted a special carve out for themselves and you know well,
1: for one manufacturer
6: yeah well for a type of vehicle Okay, that, we're yeah. okay. <laughs> and, and, okay, And then here was the other thing. I have found this kind of humorous. I have kind of gotten involved in Twitter lately. I, I'm, I'm okay. learning kind of how to tweet. And two big-time tweets uh, that, that opposed the legislation that I responded to, one is from former Governor Mavis and one is from Dickie Scruggs. And, you know, that's not the bastion of conservatism in this in this state. Right. Uh, and, you know, their arguments, one of them was said, oh, you've protected big business. And I'm like, I don't understand who big business is in your equation. Is it the manufacturers? Is it the local auto dealer, who seems the smallest guy, or the company owned by the richest man in the world? So we, we've gotten so, off in the yeah, weeds. Yeah,
1: all right. So then what did HB 401 do exactly uh, different than present law? How did it amend this? Because you said, I think I've heard you say we did this to update the so-called franchise laws, which are really the regulation of new car
6: sales laws. I felt like the law was clear prior to the AG's opinion, but after the AG's opinion, people were saying, well, the law does not prohibit that. So we clarified. Why do we need to prohibit that, though, Senator? Why do we need to
1: prohibit manufacturers from setting up a dealership in the state of Mississippi?
6: Well, they can set up a dealership. They just have to work through the franchise model. So that's that's the thing they're no, not I mean, why can't they
1: set up a, a, a
6: corporate owned dealership we have
1: McDonald's that are corporate owned a few st- stones away from a franchise McDonald's sure if
6: if that had been the law since 1970 I would have said well, well,
1: let's get rid of laws. How well, we now, I, the laws I can not even introduce a bill to do that
6: I did tell Senator Wiggins he brought that up on the floor said you're welcome to drop that bill these are just bad strip laws. the franchise laws
1: these out. are bad laws they're not franchise laws they regulate new car sales laws
6: I was a franchisee they didn't apply to me Sure. Well, I understand that. But it it is a situation where I do take a little bit of offense to not not from you from (laughs) from uh, a company who comes in, knows what the law is, circumvented the law, um, then has survived on government intrusion. And then they complain about government intrusion. That's that's kind of the a little bit of hypocrisy there. But I see this as a law that's protecting
1: a legacy model. That it, it, we all know is changing and changing rapidly. And really, it's, I, I don't even see it as, as government's responsibility to dictate the route to market period. If a manufacturer wants to sell direct, they should be able to. If they want to sell through manufacturer owned stores, they should be able to. If they want to sell through, through third party owned dealerships, they should be able to. And I think what the laws say in Mississippi say, no, you can't have all those choices, consumers.
6: That's what I see. Well, and, and I do. I think it goes back to also a company coming in and saying to the state of Mississippi, we want to do it our way no matter what your laws are. There's a difference. We, we didn't write a law uh, to create this system. We amended the law to make sure everybody had to play with the same set of rules. Well, That's but, the fundamental okay. fairness. But
1: we amended, a, we amended what I see that mm-hmm. this bill does. This is just my take on it. That What we did is we, we, we filed a bill, uh, legislation, that
6: essentially tightens up bad law. Well, and and I, I I agree that you see the franchise side of this is not being a good yeah it's terrible a good position. Uh, but the fact that that is the law, everybody has to play with that set of well, rules.
1: Where are conservative legislatures to stand up and say this is antiquated, this doesn't apply? These are fifty year old statutes. We need to get with the program and be be more aware of uh, just how rapid uh, disruption occurs
6: across a spectrum of industries. And I did ask that question. I said, look, we've, nobody was surprised this bill came back. We dropped the bill last year. We had a lot of debate on it, and nobody dropped anything. So we came back with the bill. I do believe it's something that we can work through. I just, you know, I want to make sure that everybody's on the same page, that it is to make one set of rules for everybody and not give a right to a manufacturer, just because their propulsion system is different, there's still a car. Well,
1: I don't want to do that yeah. either. I, I don't want it to. I, I don't want it to apply to cars exclusively, and I don't want the. I don't want to see the government saying. Hey manufacturer of whatever product if you're going to sell in Mississippi you got to sell through through this model. I don't I don't think the government should be dictating the route to market. I can't say that enough and having lived that in an industry that was continuously disrupting the route to market. I mean on a daily basis this industry
6: hasn't had to deal with it honestly until the last couple of years. That's right. And I think you have a unique perspective that very few people have is that You dealt in technology as a business. That's right. We're dealing in automobiles. And, you know, I listened to uh, some folks the other day, and I think Commissioner Cheney, again, the insurance commissioner, was talking about the insurability of these cars. Well, that's a separate issue, but he mentioned how technology and automobiles is driving up the cost because, you know, vehicles are more expensive. So if you hit my car, it's not my fender you have to repair. It's a, a computer as well. True. So so there's impacts throughout the industry. But I do think you have a, a very different experience because you lived in the world of technology, yeah. not an automobile that now is dealing with technology.
1: That's true. But I also, I also sold technology products and services, which, by the way, are also insured. Yes, And our life and death situations as right. well, often. So, I, yeah, I do have a different perspective. Before you go, I'll share this with you. I did offline, but for the benefit of the audience. I had a relationship with at t They were a, a customer, a vendor, a competitor, and they were also a subcontractor, and I was a subcontractor to them. So that's like five routes to market between two companies.
6: And you thrived.
1: Yeah, we did, without government. That's the point. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, thank, Senator. Appreciate thank you. It. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Coming right back. Final segment. Stay with us.
4: Shining star for you to see what your life can truly be. Shining star for you to see what your life can
0: truly be. Shining star for you to see what your life can truly be. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk Mississippi.
1: back in the element wealth studios it is the final segment on this friday y'all and at four o'clock this afternoon i'm getting on that jet airplane and headed out of here to berlin Uh, not to berlin for the topless swimmers (laughs) i'm not joking i really did check i sent you a screenshot of it there are
2: zero flights from anywhere around here direct to berlin
1: (laughs) it just gets wonkier, or wackier i should say uh, by the day, does it not? <laughs> well, I've said it before. That's one of the few
2: issues where the left and right can agree on it, for the most part. It's just, just the I free heard. the nipple movement.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, lots of text rolling in. I appreciate that. Uh, I thought it, I thought it was a great interview. Really appreciate uh, Senator Sparks and uh, coming in the studio and discussing this. He, he knows that uh, I'm certainly opposed to this legislation. I've made that clear to to him and others. Uh, down at the legislature on on both sides um, and so i th- I think he was good to come in and and share his his perspective and his rationale, but I'll just repeat what I said, and I'm not backing down on this. These are just bad laws we need to get rid of, so I understand and appreciate his concern about okay, well, the laws as as presently stands kind of excludes a group. we need to include them. And I would argue, no. Let's just get rid of all the laws. I I think his minds, his, the gears are grinding a little bit about that. Here's what I think is going to happen. It's going to get challenged eventually, and there's going to be a scenario. I'll give you one as an example. Apple, no secret, they intend to manufacture motor vehicles, electric vehicles specifically. Let's, and they're going to have to build them somewhere. Got to have a factory. Apple says, hey Mississippi, we want to come build a plant in Mississippi. But we'd also like to attach a dealership owned by Apple, right next to that that plant where we build these vehicles, so that our customers could come buy these vehicles, maybe right off the factory showroom line there or the line there, right into the showroom. As I would not put
2: it past Apple to do that for the spectacle of it. Of course. Very. Where you set up an appointment and you get to sit there and watch it as it, it rolls off and then they drive it up to you? Of course.
1: But as it presently stands, they couldn't do that. Let's say they want to spend a billion dollars. It's not unusual to spend a billion dollars on a car plant, right? And we're going to hire so a bare people. minimum for a car bare plant. Bare minimum. And we're going to hire a thousand people. And building cars these days, these aren't $35,000 a year jobs. They're $100,000 a year jobs. We're going to do that. And what are we going to do? Say, I'm sorry, Apple, we don't want your business. Huh? That's what's going to happen. I believe it. And then, you know what would happen? We'd have a special session if we weren't in session, and they change the dang laws. Let's hope at that point they dispose of them and put them where they need to be, in the garbage.
2: That's if we're lucky enough for them not to look at the present That's law. Exactly and just what just walk I told away. the
1: senator. Ex- I shared this scenario with the senator, and he was shaking his head before he left. It's exactly what he, it's exactly what I told him, Rhino. I just hope we get the chance. But right now, we don't have the carrot. In fact, we'd have to go with hat in hand. Hey, if you come here and you want to do that, we'll see if we can get the law changed. Nobody wants to fight that, so. While I, while I understand and appreciate that, okay, we need to level the playing field with old arcane law, I come down on the side, well, well the laws really aren't applicable anymore. I don't know what the catalyst for those laws were 50, 60 years ago, but it's time to rip them out of here and, and uh, update our law, which would mean no laws in this case, in my view, or minimal. Why do we have a motor vehicle commission? What's that all about? Why do you have to have a license? Why why do we have that? And and I'm being honest. Maybe there is a justified reason. I know when I started my company, there wasn't a personal computer commission. (laughs) There wasn't a software commission that you had to go get a license for to sell software. You don't think that's important? Unplug all them computers and this software and see how long it lasts.
2: I'm going to make a joke and it's going to offend some people but it's okay because I'm from the group that would be offended. It seems like the Baptists got a hold of the government and there's just a glut of committees. We got a committee for committees to talk about committees.
1: <laughs> I I believe you're referring to the uh the practice often in the in the churches oh, yeah. to make a committee for everything. There's a for
2: committee everything. for everything in the Baptist <laughs> church. And I can say that. I, I was raised in the Baptist church.
1: Oh gosh. Well, you you get me thinking about it. We looked it up the other day. Remember, there are 46 committees in the Senate. We got 52 senators and 46. <laughs> oh, gosh. We're going to keep on this, folks. And uh, But, again, I very much appreciate the senator for coming in. And, and I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. I thought we had a productive discussion. Um, I still think this is bad legislation. I'm not for a carve-out for anybody. As uh, the senator pointed out, there were some on the other side. It's, at least he says. I don't know. I hadn't talked to him. I'm not for any special carve-outs. I'm f- you want a level playing field? Get rid of all the stupid laws that regulate an industry that doesn't need to be regulated, not regulating the route to market. And the first step for that would be the governor vetoing it. I hope he does. We shall see. I'll be back with you next Wednesday. You guys have a great weekend. Until then, stay safe and God bless.